Ladies and gentlemen, this is Maxwell Ivy. Max to my friends. Many of you know me as Mr. Midway or the Blind Blogger. And I want to welcome you to episode five of the No Excuses podcast. And today we have another uh, very uh, interesting, inspiring, uh, unusual guest with us. His name is Robert Branco. He's a lifelong resident of New Bedford, Massachusetts. He was attending public schools and going through what they called sight-saving classes, which I'll be interested to find out what that entailed, until his family found out about the Perkins School for the Blind. He was then enrolled there and uh, completed his education at Perkins. He has since written four books, a cookbook that is a compilation of many blind people's favorite recipes, two books of essays, and a book about his experiences with life at Perkins. Uh, he is currently the publisher of uh, Con- Consumer Vision Magazine, and he runs a bowling league for disabled people, and he is always up to share his views on blindness, legislation, uh, discrimination, employment, adaptive technology, and myths about the blind. So, hello, Bob. Uh, welcome to my podcast. I'm looking forward to having a great conversation. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you, and thanks for the opportunity. Well, I appreciate you doing this. This is uh, an opportunity for both of us. Uh, I, ha- I get to uh, work on my interview skills and share people like you with uh, people on my website and my blog, and uh I hope you enjoy it because, you know, if as long as you have fun doing something, you don't really have to worry about the outcome. I agree with you. Okay, so you were born blind. Uh, since everybody asks me about it, what kind of visual disease do you have and uh, how long before your, you and your parents realized it was going to impact your life? First of all, I was born with limited vision. I was classified as legally blind. I was able to travel with the limited vision that I had. I was able to identify color and shapes and figures and buildings and the moon and other things, signage. As far as the nature of my blindness, it was the result of optic atrophy. At least that's what I was told in the end when I lost what vision I had through my 20s and early 30s. So I'm going to say that it was optic atrophy. And my parents parents knew there was something wrong right from the beginning. And would you say, for the most part, you had a, what we would call, quote, normal uh, childhood? As normal as it could possibly be. I was able to do most things as a child. So I would say, yes, it was very normal. And the question I get asked often because I have RP and have also lost my vision uh, over the years is, uh, are you of the opinion it's easier or harder to lose it gradually or to lose it uh, overnight or to not have ever had it before? Well, I can only answer that question based on my own experience. I've heard of cases where individuals have lost their sight overnight or individuals who have never had it at all. All I can tell you is that from my perspective, I was glad 
that I lost mine in a space of 10 years. That way the adjustment was very, very good and appropriate and easy. Yeah, while they're while you're always changing and having to adapt, the changes are not as drastic as they would be with sudden blindness. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And there's all those visual references that you have stored up in your mind that uh, that you can draw on later in life. Yes, and I do that a lot because I have that to relate to. Which just gave me a thought. I, I often people often comment on how much I use visual based words in my conversation. Do you get that too? I do too. I don't give it any thought. I use them in my vocabulary because everybody else uses them. They are part of my speech process and I just I never analyze the words see and look and watch. I use them in regular conversation. And I just hope that everybody <laughs> accepts that fact and don't try to analyze why I use them. I've been asked why I use them. Gee, Bob, uh, what do you mean you watch television? Sure, I watch television. That's what you do. I use it because yeah. it's something to do, something to use. Okay. Well, now, in my process of trying to get to know you better, um, I've heard this phrase, sight-saving classes. What exactly did that mean? Okay, let me preface my answer by telling you that I don't think they exist anymore, and I'll explain that briefly later. But back in the 60s, children with vision loss would be segregated into a special class with a teacher who was trained to deal with vision problems. We would all get one-on-one -on -one attention. In most cases, the kids in the sight-saving class were in different grades. So you may have two first graders, a third grader, a fourth grader, all in the same class. And the teacher, as I said, would give you one-on-one -on -one attention. Uh, the vision loss for each kid would vary. In some cases, Braille would have to be taught. Like in my case, I learned Braille in second grade. Other kids just have a slight vision loss where they're able to read large print textbooks. But I was in the sight-saving class from 1964 to 1969 uh, through the fourth grade. And then my parents found out that the state could not accommodate me any further for whatever reason. I was too young to understand. So I was told I had to go to Perkins School for the Blind. And if I remember right, you went to Perkins at 12 years old, and that had to be a pretty stressful event in your life. What did you What did you think about going away? I mean, I don't want you to give away the book, but uh, just a, just a few observations. Well, you're right, and I think most, if not all, children at age 12 or even younger don't want to leave home. They'd rather stay in their surroundings and grow up in their community and be with their families all the time. They don't want to go away to school. But as it turned out, whether I liked it or not at the time, it was for the best. I did get a very, very excellent education at Perkins School. And by the way, getting back to the sight-saving classes, the reason they no longer exist is because of legislation that allowed the mainstreaming of kids with vision loss in regular classes. 
Yeah, by the time I attended high school from 81 to 84 here in Houston, Texas, I had one class a day that was uh, specialized, and the rest of my classes were with other students in a mainstreamed approach to education. Uh, but even in a large high school with over 4,000 students, we had uh, two blind people the year I graduated. So, yes. And that's something that most people really don't uh, appreciate is that very often whenever we go anywhere, we are the only one there. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I am referred to as the blind blogger is because on social media, the people in the groups I was working in did not have any other blind members in their groups. So for shorthand, they just started calling me that and it stuck. Um, and it does seem like, I mean, uh, with other with other groups, say groups based on religion or race or whatever, there's usually more than one of, of any person who who uh, feels like maybe there there are less of them in the group, you know. Uh, But quite often, as a blind person, you're the only one. Indeed. Okay, so uh, what is is the title of the book? Mention the website and the book, just so I don't forget. Okay, well, the book that you are referring to is entitled My Home Away From Home, Life at Perkins School for the Blind, it was published in 2013. You know, I self-published it, and of course, my editor Leonor Dvorkin was very instrumental in making sure that all the necessary editing was done and all the necessary promotions were done too. Right. And as far as well, what was the second half of your question, Max? Mention, mention your website, and then mention, mention Lenore's website because I, I fervently believe in giving credit to the editors. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Well, my website is an addendum to Leonore's. So what I'll do is give you Leonore's and add mine as a suffix. What basically it is is www.dvorkin.com. That would be Leonore's. But what she does with all of her writing clients is she adds their names as the suffix. So in order to get to my website, you would go to www.dvorkin.com slash Robert Branco slash. All right, and when I post this, I will have a blog post about it, and it will have the links in there so people can get there. But, uh, yes, Leonore does offer a great service. Uh, she, Her and her husband are not only about the editing, but also about publishing and promotion and uh, I have been very blessed to meet them uh, through you, so I'm uh, looking forward to working with all of y'all. And uh, you know, I do the same. If, in my opinion, my books, uh, they may have they may have gotten published without my editor, but they wouldn't have been anywhere near as good without uh, my special lady Lorraine regularly at WordingWell.com. And and I gotta get gotta get her name in there because if I don't, uh, I will get emails. <laughs> You're probably aware then that Leonore works with many blind authors. Yes, she does, and she has been uh, introducing me to some of her other clients. And you know, it's just amazing how you know people talk about networking, 
and it's uh, it's strange sometimes how one email to somebody and having a real conversation with that one person can lead to so many more opportunities. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Lenore. She's looking forward to seeing uh, what happens with uh, with you and your books as uh, you continue to to uh, do more interviews and put yourself out there more. So it's it's kind of exciting. I told somebody the other day that uh, when I uh, one of the things I do, people that are listening, is I help I help other people get on podcasts and radio shows. That's one of the things I do. And I told somebody the other day, I think I get more excited about it than the person I'm than a person I'm working with when they do their first uh, show or when they do their first uh, iHeartRadio episode. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, you know, there's really no no way of knowing where this is all going to lead for me and you and Lenore and all her other clients. And, you know, there's other uh, people out there who are working on a book, thinking about a book, have finished writing it, and are wondering what to do next. And uh, for y'all sighted people, uh, because I probably have more sighted listeners and followers than mine, uh, Lenore uh, offers her services to everybody. It isn't just something for visually impaired authors. And, uh, like I say, her husband is is big on marketing and websites, and uh, you might want to check them out. So, back to what we're to back to our interview. Um, you uh, were at Perkins, I'm guessing, for about eight years, and then you went out into the world. You've had several uh, several different jobs and occupations, and now currently you're publishing your own magazine. And tell me about the magazine and how that uh, came about and what. Uh, how how so how a a blind person is managing an entire magazine? People ask me all the time how I manage a blog. Well, I'm a uh, what you're putting out and putting out on a regular basis is more intense than what I do. Well, first of all, I came up with the concept of consumer vision back in 2006 when I decided that perhaps I should share information with the community. Consumer Vision was not meant to be and really still is not a magazine for the blind because I have sighted subscribers, and although many of the material that I get is about blindness issues, which I will readily accept, the magazine is not a blindness magazine. I encourage everybody to subscribe, no matter what type of disability you have or don't have. To me, it's about the consumer. So I started publishing it in 2006, I'll be happy to report that uh, this November will be the 10th anniversary of publication. And we've come a long way. We have Leonore, as a matter of fact, is my proofreader. And then my staff editor is a lady from Pennsylvania by the name of Terry Winnott. And the three of us work very hard to make sure we put out a quality product. We have, well, about, two, we have about 250 subscribers via email. And if anybody wants to check out a back issue, they can at www.consumervisionmagazine.com. Consumer Vision Magazine, in this case, being all one word, because it's part of a website. And if you like what you read, you want to subscribe, what you would do is send a test email to bobbranco93, which is all one word, 
B-O-B-B-R-A-N-C-O-93 at gmail.com. Once I get your request, I put you in the group, and then you will receive Consumer Vision. Well, in today's world, with all the uh, effort that the manufacturers and uh, advertisers are going through to deceive and to deceive the buying public, uh, having another consumer magazine that's out there that's looking out for our benefit is a, is a definitely a good thing. And I look forward to subscribing and getting my first issue uh, because I would love to to. Be part of when you send out that tenth anniversary. That's a big deal for any business, and uh, even more impressive for a magazine online or, or otherwise. It's a very tough competitive field that you're in. Uh, is there a particular uh, product review or uh, article that you have written personally that you're most proud of during the ten years? I really cannot answer that question. As a matter of fact, I hesitate to answer that kind of a question because everything that we all do has some merit and some importance. I don't want to even think about picking favorites. Well, I tend to find that my favorite is either the one I just finished or the one I'm working on now anyway, but I had to ask the question. Um, That's fine. I understand perfectly. And uh, let's see now. You have uh, have published the four books, and two of them are essays on uh, vi- on uh, blindness and visual disability and uh, and political opinions. Well, is uh, is there is there any current legislation for the visually impaired that people out there should be aware of that they should be trying to contact the congressman or anything about? Before I answer that question, let me just clarify that one of the books is strictly about blindness issues. It's called As I See It from a Blind Man's Perspective, Revised and Expanded Edition. The other one with the essays is strictly a general book of essays about modern technology and modern trends in society. Uh, There are some articles in that book about blindness, but most of it is not. It's called Weighing Things Up, Essays on Trends, technology, and present-day society. In answer to your question about legislation, there are a lot of items that I feel that should be addressed by legislators. And I think that the consumer organizations of blind people in this country should work very closely, if they don't already, with these on such things as accessible prescription labels, uh, uh, social security issues, job issues, transportation issues, the marriage penalty, which I'm very, very vocal about right now, and other very uh, important things that affect the life of a blind person. Yeah, as far as employment goes, I I keep hearing a statistic that uh, 70 to 75% of the people people with visual impairment are unemployed or underemployed. And we still have this law on the books that allows uh, certain employers to hire the disabled and pay them below minimum wage. Well, yeah, in what is known as a sheltered workshop environment.
Right, and those are places where they've been set up specifically for blind people to learn a particular trade, to uh, perform that trade, to produce a product in a closed shop. Right, and blind and persons with other disabilities as well. There are a lot of folks with learning disabilities that uh, attend those workshops too. I wasn't aware of that. I uh, appreciate you pointing that out to me. Right. Uh, we we have a shop here in my town called Work Incorporated. Uh, 99% of the clients have developmental disabilities. And are you of the opinion, like some people are, that if uh, if they made full minimum wage or if minimum wage were increased, those jobs wouldn't be available? I don't know. To me, it's all about importance. You're doing a job for somebody, it's important. You're part of society, you're doing something, you're contributing something. You deserve the same pay as somebody else. I mean, my mother, God rest her soul, worked on an assembly line for decades, and she got a reasonable pay. Had she done that at a sheltered shop, she wouldn't be. And I think the jobs are pretty similar. A lot of times people in sheltered shops work on assembly lines doing productive work that is subcontracted from companies. So what's the difference? The jobs are of equal value to somebody. So the pay should be equal. You know, I've, I've had this question in my mind for a while, and I've asked it of a couple of people, and so far nobody has given me a good answer for it. And here's my question. If, if there are ways that employers can hire the visually impaired and other people with disabilities for below minimum wage, why don't they hire more of us? Why aren't there more places like that turning out more work? It doesn't make sense in my brain. It makes sense to me, and I'll tell you why. First of all, I think there is a lack of trust and faith by some employers. I don't mean all employers, obviously, but many employers, I feel, have a lack of understanding and belief in what blind people can do for them. That's all it is. If they learn about us more, if they see what we do, then hopefully they'll have a different attitude. But for the most part, if you were to ask an average employer if he's ever met a blind person, let alone hire one, he'd probably tell you no. Therefore, he wouldn't know what a blind person can do, which is not his fault, by the way. Right, I agree with you. It's, it's, up, it's up to us to educate the public and the employers on the range of skills we have and even the skills we don't have but we're capable of acquiring should we be given the proper training. Indeed. And uh, I, I agree with you. And, and here's a perfect example of what you're saying. In the, in, the 80, in the 90s, for a short time, I worked for the Internal Revenue Service. I went through Lions World Services for the Blind and was trained to be a, a collections agent for the IRS. And I did that for two or three years. At the time, the IRS and other federal agencies were in a hiring freeze, but students from LWSB were exempt from the hiring freeze. And it puzzled the heck out of me why IRS branch office operators across the country weren't going, get me them blind people because I need warm bodies. Yeah, I, I don't understand that at all. Never made any sense to me. I'm like, you know, these people. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure Lions could have turned out more, more students if they, if they had had to, and it just never made any sense to me. These, 
the the branch managers know that uh, that the blind employees are exempt from the hiring freeze. They can bring in an, an entire unit of them if they want to. But, how about the how about the belief that insurance companies, for example, believe this? They believe that blind people are at a higher risk. Or actually, maybe not the insurance companies. I shouldn't even say that, but. A lot of employees and employers feel that the blind are at a higher risk on the job and that the insurance companies can show data to prove otherwise. But yet the insurance companies will still still charge higher rates or still force employers to pay higher rates if they have a visually impaired employee. Is that what you're saying? Not necessarily. I think insurance companies will be able to support my claim and your claim that we are not at high risk and employers need to see the data. Yeah, the problem with insurance companies is how many years have they charged uh, have they charged different rates based on women and men drivers even though the data didn't bear out what they were doing in their rate scheme. You know, um, well, that's the subject recently, for another day. <laughs> <laughs> we recently found out that across the country we have what they call a pink tax because anything that uh, is made for women, even if it's very similar to to something made for men, costs more. So it's uh, and I and I I found out that my mom is now using uh, is now using shampoo for men because there's like you know sixty cents to a dollar difference between that and what they sell for women. Let me make a personal observation, Max, if you don't mind, on this subject matter. I joined the National Federation of the Blind in 1981, and almost right away I found out what the unemployment rate of the blind was. It was 70%. Back in 1981, it was 70%. Today I'm hearing that it may not even be 70%. It might be 80%. And I'm saying to myself, why does it seem like we are digressing according to the percentages of employment for the blind. Shouldn't it be the other way around with the way the consumer organizations are organized? You would think it would go the other way. You would think with all the uh, groups out there advocating for us, with uh, uh, people like you and me that are that are doing what we do on our own to prove that, uh, that we we have abilities if they'll if they'll give us opportunities uh it is surprising that the numbers haven't changed and i have to wonder about a couple of things uh one is many of these people get into the social security system and never get out of it again uh because of and 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 now because of the fact that your medical benefits are tied to your social security I think even fewer of them. Uh, it takes a job paying a pretty decent salary to make a lot of them get to the point where they're willing to give up the the disability plus the plus the medical coverage. Here's what is sad, Max. I have spoken with a blind woman, and she's one of many, by the way, who I feel have this attitude. Several years ago, she was approached about a job, and she was definitely qualified to do the job. There was no question about it. She's a very intelligent woman, and she'd probably make a good amount of money. She was reluctant 
to accept the job because she was afraid that she would lose her benefits. Yeah, now, and, if, a lot of, if a lot of blind people feel that way, then how are we making progress? A sighted person doesn't have to worry about that. When he takes the plunge, why should a blind person have to worry about it? No. Um, the only thing that, it, that I can think of that's similar is for a sighted person if they're considering changing insurance providers because quite often if they change health coverage, they have to face the possibility of, of not being able, able to see the same doctors or go to the same clinics uh, with their new coverage. But you're right. It's something sighted people don't have to think about. No, but the blind do. And I'm wondering if that has an effect on what's going on with the employment. I mean, if I'm offered a job and I'm and I'm pretty sure I can handle it because I'm qualified, I'll take my chances. You know, I, I know that's a very strong statement to make, but I would much rather be employed. I'd much rather be a part of the community and do that. Rather than, I know people are entitled to worry about losing their benefits. God knows that many people depend on their benefits to live. But if you can go to work, Max, and do a job, I mean, you really have to think about it and be productive. Oh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I couldn't imagine not having some kind of work. And I've, I, I've, I love these stories on the news about people in their 70s and 80s that are not only still working, but they're they're not just still doing the job; they're actually doing the job. Uh, they're doing more, or doing it in a in a better or different way. Um, you know, I I have a business, uh, another business where I help people sell amusement equipment. I have a client who's uh, 80, he was 74 years old, and he started his own small kitty amusement park. And I commend those are, the, those are the kind of people that I generally associate with. But there are lots of people out there who have that feeling like I just don't want to risk it. I'm well, uh, I'm afraid. I'm I'm not happy where I'm at, but things could be worse if I take that job. And that's a real fear that blind people have that sighted people don't. But sighted people don't go to college, or some some of us even in high school. And already, already be in the social security system. Well, let me top that one. In my city, we have a local neighborhood association called the South End Neighborhood Association. The head of that organization is 96, and she's legally blind. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to go. I hope the association has a website because I got to meet this person. Look up the South End Neighborhood Association in New Bedford, Massachusetts, specifically Loretta Burke, B-O-U-R-Q-U-E. Well, I'm glad you spelled it for me because I would have definitely got that wrong. Uh, but I will look up the organization, and, uh, and those are the people that, that I, I like to, to hear about, associate with, and hope I'll be like in uh, 30 or 40 years from now. Absolutely, me too. Because I didn't really get started in my life till I was 40. So, I've, you know, I uh, got a late start, but I'm going to try to do like Steve Jobs did and get as much as I can in what time I have left. So, or Bill Gates. Uh, or, Bill Gates. Or, or Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, 
Okay, can we go? Can we go, Mark Cuban? Because I'm really not a fan of Facebook, and I just don't. I don't have Zuckerberg. Isn't one of my heroes. I'm oh, sorry. That, that's fine. I just want to mention one small thing about Facebook. Not about Facebook itself, but just the mere fact that a blind person can navigate social media as part of what might be required today for a job. And that's a good point. Uh, you know, with the, with the, the screen readers, either JAWS. For, for Windows or NVDA, that's the free option, or uh, VoiceOver on my Apple products, uh, and even to the point of Katana. And, you know, Microsoft is slowly dragging their feet, but they're slowly getting there where their uh, Windows 10 is supposed to have a lot more accessibility where you'll be able to use a Windows computer out of the box if you have to. Um, for those of y'all who... who Aren't blind. Jaws for Windows is a third-party app that allows blind people to use Windows computers. Uh, there are also screen magnification programs, but me and Bob are both uh, speech users, so that's why we were talking about those. But yeah, it is great that we can use social media, uh, that we can connect with and communicate with these people all over the world and make connections that we wouldn't have before. And I think especially as a blind person, the the Internet is one of the few places where I feel like there's a level playing field. Yes, yes, that's true. The only concern that I have is we are constantly being asked to, to upgrade our software as soon as we learn it. And that might affect us too <laughs> on the job. If we're established in training on a certain particular system and all of a sudden the minute we learn it we're asked to upgrade again we're always spending time upgrading i have windows 8.1 and guess what i will keep it for as long as it's being supported i have no intention nor desire to upgrade because i'm I applaud used you. to what i do i applaud you i agree with you 100 percent um it's called a learning curve and it's uh it's a waste of time unless there's a Unless there's a, an actual necessity, I applaud you because I'm I'm like I'm currently running uh, a version of of the Apple operating system on my computer that's uh, it's three updates behind because I just don't feel comfortable with going to the latest version. I like to let them figure out all the bugs. I just don't like updating because I remember what happened. Uh, about 10 years ago when they had an update for Internet Explorer that basically put me offline for 30 days. So I applaud you. I think it's a great attitude. And I would keep your Windows 8 until until it breaks or until you you know, you know just don't have a choice because Microsoft and, and Apple and these computer companies, they now have a way of, of knowing what software you're using. So who knows, at some point they may turn it off. Absolutely. But, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's amazing how much time we spend uh, with updates to our computers, our smartphones, and eventually our TVs and our, and our appliances at the rate that they are installing Internet and putting computers and stuff on them. Which, by the way, if I had my way, uh, whoever invented the touch screen would have to do time. Well, most products that are manufactured are not manufactured by people who have the blind in mind, except I'll give you an example of an exception, Apple. 
Yes, and I don't think that I don't think that that Jobs decided that accessibility was something that he was doing for us. I think what he did was he thought the population is aging. As it ages, vision, hearing, physical abilities are going to decrease. And I think he saw a market where nobody else saw it. I think he figured that as people get older, they're going to need this stuff. So why don't we develop it for the blind, people that can help us make sure it works. And as, as the market grows, then we'll be there. And that's my opinion of, of why they did it. I'm glad. Uh, I don't. It doesn't really matter to me why, but I'm glad they did. And I'm hoping that what just happened with the iPhone and the Disney movies becomes uh, an example to people as to what's possible with the technology to include the visually impaired. Um, for those people who haven't heard about it, there's an app on your iPhone now where if you're watching a Disney product movie in the theater, on your home uh, TV, on a DVD, or even a digital download, you can start this app, tell it to sync with the movie you're watching, and it'll play what is called the scribe audio, which is whenever the actors aren't talking, there will be a narrator telling people with visual disabilities what is going on in the action in the scene. And it's a, it's a great There are thing. a lot of other resources where we could access audio descriptive movies. Libraries offer it. Other places offer it, too. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about libraries, and I have to. I can't ever, ever forget about libraries because if it weren't for libraries, especially the National Library Service for the Blind, uh, who knows what my life would have been like before all of this digital stuff started coming along. I uh, can't tell tell people out there how many hours I spent listening to great books on audio cassettes and even flexible disc records. So yeah, can't forget the libraries. I had a question on the tip of my tongue there I was going to ask you. Oh, yeah. Um, so what are you currently up to? Is, uh, what, is, what is filling your time outside of your work these days? Well, I entertain senior citizens once a week at a day facility doing trivia for one hour. They seem to enjoy it. It's very stimulating. It's very fun. And it's just another activity that's offered by the facility, and I'm glad to provide that activity. I also write for another blog, which you may have heard of, called Word Matters. It's run by a gentleman by the name of Ernest Dempsey. And you can reach that blog by going to www.ernestdempsey.com, and then you can find out what he's all about. Well, I good, also man. belong to the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind Consumer Advisory Council. And then you also run a bowling league. I run a bowling league every Sunday from September to May, yes, for persons with and without disabilities. We have approximately 36 bowlers who participate. Are and I've you, been doing you, that now for 20-plus years. Are you one of the better bowlers? I mean, what's, what's your average? No, no, no. My <laughs> average is about 80. I don't regard that when I bowl. I just regard the fact that we have fun. 
teams do participate, yes. There are team trophies and individual trophies given out for different categories at the end of the season, and we do our best. Yeah, plus if I remember right, um, because of, I don't, I don't know, most most bowling leagues use the standard handicap system as opposed to scoring, and I think you get credit for 110 whether you reach it or not. So, I think you're talking about the 100% handicap, which makes all teams equal. Okay. Okay, in other words, say my team has a lot better bowlers than your team. Well, mathematically, we can figure it out to make the teams evenly. Uh, we could use the 100% handicap, which might spot a team a certain amount of pins before we start. There's a formula to figure out how to make everybody on the same playing field, and we use it. Uh, been a long time since the last time I had on bowling shoes, but I thought there was something like that. Mm-hmm. It's only fair. And that's that's what most everybody wants. It's, you know, that's what that's what we want is 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 fairness or as close as you can get to it given the situ- the circumstances. If we're not if if not equal, at least let's have uh, a, a sincere effort to make it equal. Indeed. And now I haven't ever asked you this. Uh, what about your family? Uh, because people often ask me about my household and, you know, things get a little crazy here. I was just wondering about yours. Well, my parents passed away. My mom passed away in 1993, and my dad passed away in 1996. I have no brothers and sisters. What I have are basically a lot of friends, a girlfriend, uh, some cousins that live either in my city or around my city or in, in another state. I hardly have any more aunts and uncles. As a matter of fact, I lost my last surviving aunt about two weeks ago. And and you you, you said you have a girlfriend. So how do you find? How have you found dating as a blind person? I think the more that you are yourself, the better off that situation is. I've always said that. There's no reason try to to try to analyze it, to try to be somebody that you're not. I mean, we are people, like they say in the Federation, we are people who happen to be blind, just like I happen to be gray-haired or I happen to be uh, flat-footed. We are... Blindness is a characteristic that's part of us. And if we still act like normal people, we should be very successful in what we do. Yeah, I often tell people it's it's... It's really not. It's really not right to say anything about blind people in general because we are a group of individuals and we're just as, just as, just as different, just as crazy as the rest of the world. We just happen to be blind, as you say. Oh, I'll tell you. I know a gentleman who really hates it when you call him a blind person. He wants to be called a person who happens to be blind, and he's very vocal about that. <laughs> well. Me, I, 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 I just don't really see the benefit in getting too upset about the the language people use, as long as they, uh, as long as they talk to me and treat me as if I am a person, and that happens almost all of the time. So I've rarely gotten into debates or arguments. I, I t- the the only time I ever seem my my trigger seems to be if somebody calls me dumb or stupid. I, 
either one of those words with me is like uh, chicken to Marty McFly in the Back to the Future movies. Uh, so now one of the one of the things we mentioned at the beginning was that you uh, you, you do often this. Uh, discuss myths about the blind and visually impaired. Are there two or three of your of your top myths you'd like to help clarify for people? Because we are getting pretty close to the end here. Yes. First of all, a lot of people believe that because we can't see, that our other senses are sharper. No, that's not true. Our other sh- senses don't automatically become sharper just because we have no sight. What we do is focus on our other senses more. There's a difference between focusing on our other senses and, and our senses being sharper. They are not sharper. We just pay more attention to them, I guess. I mean, for lack of a better expression, because I don't know what the sighted do, but obviously the blind can't see, so we have to kind of look more towards what else we have. Okay, that's one myth. Um, let me see if I could think of a couple of others uh, as we're well, speaking about it. Right. Uh, you'll well, find I, I a would... chapter about myths in my book, As I See It, from a Blind Man's Perspective. I believe that's chapter six in the book. It'll describe yeah, a would... lot of myths and a lot of beliefs. Uh, I would tend to agree with you uh, because I think about Stephen Covey and his seven habits of highly successful people, and he devotes like two chapters to active listening. And that's because he's trying to teach people who who don't focus, who usually focus more on what they see than what they hear to really pay attention and be in the moment and be in a conversation when they're talking to other people. Well, you just reminded me of a story I want to relate to you briefly, which kind of sure. hits home a lot. Now, you know, I always say that sighted people take vision for granted. I was at a banquet one night, Maxwell, where I was at a table with a lot of sighted people, and we were seated way in the back of the room, so we really couldn't see what was going on on stage. Uh, The people who organized the banquet had a one-hour program about their agency, and people wanted to listen to the program and listen to the speeches. Well, in the back of the audience... Everybody was talking while the program was going on. Don't ask me why. It's just something that some people like to do. So they were talking at my table, and I'm trying to listen to the program, but people are talking. We're trying to get their attention not to talk, but they're still talking. Well, later on, I found out why they were talking. They said that they couldn't see the stage. Well, guess what? I can't see the stage either. Guess what? (laughs) I wanted to listen. How come the sighted people didn't want to listen? I wanted to listen to what was being said by the agency reps that night, and I couldn't see the stage. Why is it that that happens, Maxwell? I have no idea. I think it could be a matter of expectation. Uh, They feel like if they aren't seeing it, then it isn't happening. Kind of like but, some people, but, but you can you, still hear you can still hear it, right? Right. right. But, you can still right, hear but, it. But some people just don't. There are some people who don't uh, who don't register stuff in their minds when from from hearing it. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that happens online a lot with bloggers 
is, or with podcasters is they will record a video, then they will strip the audio, and then they will then they will get a transcript, and they will post all three on their website because some people re- retain information well from videos. Some have to read it and see it, and that's all I can think of is it's a uh, for those people processing the information they had they, if they didn't see it. They wouldn't be, if they didn't see what was going on while they were hearing it. It wouldn't register with them. So what hand. you're basically saying is most people with vision, in order for them to want to hear what's going on, they have to see what's going on first. I think so. I think it's a matter of expectation that that's what they that's what they expect to have happen. And if it doesn't happen, then it creates a disconnect. That's all I can tell you. Now, you know you're you know you had a very small group of people that that did that, but. Oh, there were lots of other tables around me that were talking too, Max, believe me. And they probably had the same excuse. Oh, we can't see the stage. What do we know? And here I am trying to listen because that's how I learn, and everybody's talking around me. It's not like the stage was, it's not like the guys on the stage were performing illusions or anything. No, they were standing (laughs) up speaking to the public about what the agency does. So there was Uh, nothing really visual to look at except for the person who's standing on the stage, and, uh, unless, they do, unless they have a video performing. Right, right. Well, it makes no sense to me. All I can tell you is sometimes you just have to accept that it isn't going to make sense. Uh, that's one of the things I fall back, to, fall back to whenever people ask me about the current political situation or about politicians. I tell them, if you just stop expecting certain people to make sense, your life will be easier. Oh, with this campaign, Max, I stopped. <laughs> well, I I don't do politics or religion on this uh, on uh, uh, on air, and I and I generally try to stay away from, from even from uh, hot topic sports issues because um, I don't want to alienate the fifty percent that'll think I'm wrong. Uh, so, but yeah, there, there are certain people in times where you just have to accept they're not going to make sense. Uh, you reminded me of an incident that happened with me in college. I was taking a political science class. The professor was from, was from China originally. He had learned English, but, uh, he, his speaking voice and accent were very difficult to understand. The other students realized that I not only understood him, but I was taking really good notes. And uh, when the class was over, I was asked if I could, if they could have the the little three and a half inch floppy disk from my laptop, uh, and so they could copy them. So sometimes the fact that you concentrate, that you're that you're focused on listening, that you practice your listening skills because you can't see, can be a real benefit. Agreed. Uh, by the way, uh, this is your cue that we're about five minutes ready before we go. All right. Well, good. I appreciate you doing that for me. Um, I often get lost in the conversation and will forget. And if I set an alarm, then I worry, will I be able to turn it off without it being a nuisance? So thank you for helping out there. I've really enjoyed talking with you today, Bob. Uh, I'm sure this is is going is going to be the first of many interviews you're you're going to give, and uh, I'm hoping to uh, to to hear more about your about these uh, the, these myths, and I hope you continue to 
to share your opinions on the visually impaired because 75-80% unemployment is just a disgrace in this country. Uh, it's horrible that we have all these people with skills or the ability to learn skills that are, be that are being wasted, basically thrown away uh, like, like machinery that you've decided isn't isn't any good anymore. It's, it's just terrible. So I appreciate you doing what you do. And uh, let's see, I've been here with Bob Branco. And mention, let's see, mention the magazine website again. It's uh, consumervisionmagazine.com. It's www.consumervisionmagazine.com. If you want to subscribe to it, send me a test email at Bob Branco. B-O-B-B-R-A-N-C-O 93 at gmail.com. And are you, are you working on any uh, other new writing projects besides the, the blog and the magazine? Or I'm always looking for new writing projects, especially those that pay, because you know, <laughs> I would like to have more jobs. So if anybody out there can help me with that, I'll be open to hearing any suggestions. Well, I wasn't aware that you were also a freelance uh, writer and author, so I will definitely keep that in mind because I often uh, run into people on social media who are seeking to hire somebody for for jobs like that, and now I have another person I can mention to them when please. when I run across those, those notices. Oh, oh. Please consider me. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I, I'm like most people. I, I, I like to refer people who I know or have met or have had some conversations with. So uh, we'll definitely do that, and we'll keep you in mind if uh, if there are other uh, podcasts or radio shows or people who need somebody to, uh, to, to help them understand what it is to be a person who happens to be blind. I appreciate you coming on with me here. This is the No Excuses Podcast. Basically, because people say, Max, if you can do it, then what is my excuse? And I'm, I'm sure people say that to you too some of the time, Bob. Because, you know, with the books, the magazine, working uh, you know, work, working, and being productive in your life, I'm sure you impress a lot of people too. Uh, my website is theblindblogger.net. Theblindblogger.net. Um, and over there, you can purchase either of my books, and I would appreciate it if you would support the site as I'm continuing to raise the funds for my crazy solo trip to New York City. It's only crazy if you ask my sighted friends. But I'm looking forward to going to New York City. Who knows, while I'm there, I may take a side trip and come see you, Bob. Great. We'd love to have you in our city of New Bedford, Mass. Well, I'm... I've heard good things about it, and uh, I would love to meet you and some of the other great people there. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for doing this for me. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. And uh, for those of y'all who are listening, I appreciate you listening. I know you have lots of other things you could be doing with your time. Until next time, God bless you, and take care out there.